You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features India Robinson. India is a manager extraordinaire, and she's also a senior account director at the Faders creative agency arm known as Cornerstone. Now, India has great energy and is a living, breathing example of how far you can really go when you take consistent action and remain open to unexpected opportunities. She's also a master at juggling multiple job functions. We had a lively chat and I really hope you find inspiration in her story. So go ahead, take a listen. I hope you enjoy. India, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I just have to say you have the most vibrant smile. Oh my God, thank you. You look ready. Thank you. You're ready for this. You know, I told my mother when I was 14 that I needed to get braces. And I don't know if a lot of 14 year olds our age were back then asking for braces. Right. But I knew I needed them. So we're here. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> had braces at 14 as well with the rubber bands. And I even had to wear the headgear. They weren't even point. cool then, though. No, they were now not. Now it's cool. Now it's hot. But back then, yeah, no, it was not the business to <laughs> Absolutely. have braces. But it has paid off because your you, smile you, is quite you. radiant. <laughs> anyway, let's jump into it. Tell me, who is India Robinson? Hmm, I love that question. Uh, so India Robinson is a giver. And mm-hmm. I would say that that really synthesizes itself through everything that I do, uh, whether it's in my family or it's in my marketing and advertising career or mm-hmm. my talent management career, just really giving all of myself, seeking to um, grow and elevate not only just myself, but the people who are on my team or the people that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So I love being creative. I love being strategic. I love being innovative. I love being disruptive. Um, so I would put all of that in there as well. Awesome. So we'll get into a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Let's start on your career tracks because you're actually running on two right now, which which you mentioned. I know. Two demanding careers yeah. because I know people who work in marketing and advertising and I know people who work in talent management. Right. You are the first person I've ever met who is doing both at the same time. Crazy. Which is real. That, that's super real. I'm not quite sure how you're making it happen. But let's start on the advertising and marketing side. Is this something that you always knew you wanted to do? No. So what I always wanted to do was to partner talent with brands. Okay. So I've always wanted to do that. And, um... I thought that the best way to do that was to be an entertainment lawyer slash agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think having an anxiety attack before the LSAT uh, kind of changed my mind because I was like, I don't think it's supposed to be this hard. I don't think mm-hmm. this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and so I went on to grad school to do something that was a bit more creative focused, was able to really just just grow being, I went to grad school in London. And so I had a way more fun than I probably should have. But in that environment, it really allowed me to kind of st- take a step back and think about my career choices. And I'm a firm believer and advocate in talking to people, finding mentors. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't, um, even if you're not the greatest at sustaining relationships, I think it's good to ask people questions, ask people who came before us. A lot of times we think that we're like inventing the real, but we're not. It's literally just everything is just being redone over and over again. And so I was really seeking um, mentorship and guidance and how do I get from A to B knowing that I'm no longer going the lawyer route, uh, but I know I still want to manage talent. So 
I got partnered up with Andrea Nelson Meggs, who at the time um, was really on, she was on the cover of Essence. I don't know if you remember this cover, but it was basically the women behind the scenes. Yes. All of these black women who were like agents and publicists. And she was one of the people on there. And um, just once again, you 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 have not because you asked not. I just started just asking people if they knew her. I was like, I just want to talk to her and ended up um, having a mentor at Spelman who was married to Andrea, who was who was friends with Andrea's husband from law school. And he connected us. And the first thing she said on the call was, I'm only doing this because my husband said I needed to talk to you. And I was like, <laughs> OK, thanks, sis. I really appreciate it. But we talked for like an hour and she told me about her journey, her path. We found out that we had a lot in common. She was a Delta. She went to she studied abroad at Spelman. We did domestic exchange at Spelman. Mm-hmm. And um, she also just was really open about like she didn't know what she wanted to do. So she knows she wanted she knew she wanted to go to law school, but she didn't know if she wanted to be in entertainment. And so she ended up working for the district attorney's office. She was originally from L.A., ended up quitting that job. I mean, not like you're making a lot of money in the district attorney's right. office either. But she quitted that, quit that job and went ahead and started working in the mailroom at CAA. And so just an incredible story. And at that point, I remember being like, I don't know if I want to go broke because, you know, that's what you're going. If you're working in the mailroom, you're you're making you're not making a lot of money. You're not making a lot of money mm-hmm. even to sustain a lifestyle. So um, but she was really helpful. And so what I took from that call was that I needed to craft my own path. And so I felt like the best way for me to do what I wanted to do, which remember the end goal has always been partnering talent with brands, was to figure out what brands needed and figure out what talent needed. And so I was like, well, I know I need to figure out how to market a brand so that because talent is essentially a brand. Right. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to go into advertising. And I had just read Black Enterprise and the number one black advertising agency was the Don Coleman agency at that time. And they changed the name to Global Hue. So I immediately um, emailed the HR and she's like, here's my resume. I'm dope. Hire me. And she's like, we don't pre-hire. Like Mm -hmm. in ad agencies, a lot of times they hire with a need or with a client. Um, And I was like, all right, that's fine. I'm still in grad school. I'm going to stay in touch. So I stayed in touch with her consistently. Um, And, you know, just to speed it up a year to the date of my first email to her, I got a job offer. I had finished my dissertation at um, LSC. And so I was ready to work. In the interim of that, I had an internship at McCann Erickson and I had like a temp contracting role with Octagon, which was dope as well. So I went to Global Hue and worked on Verizon, had some incredible experiences. And it was actually at Verizon that I started to form a relationship with Laz Alonzo. Mm -hmm. Um, Laz Alonzo jumping the broom. Yes. Um, He's also in Detroit. Uh, just like a big brother, honestly. And so I expressed to him my interest in wanting to work with talent, like talent management, not really being able to fully articulate what I what that really looked like, right? Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you become my personal assistant? And I said, well, that's a thing. I was like, let me think about that. So I ended up like, he ended up getting on the show Deception with... Megan Good, mm-hmm. uh, and he was moving to New York, so he originally lives in L.A., uh, but worked out here. Laz's story is, is incredible. Like, he went to Howard, started on Wall Street, quit Wall Street, said he wanted to be an actor, right. was in, what is it, the Black Leprechaun movie, the, like, the <laughs> horror film? That was his first, I think that was, like, his first real gig. I don't know, Laz, you gotta I'm sorry. Start somewhere. That's not real, I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so um, he ended up taking me on as his assistant. I had to do, like, this campaign to, like, really let him hire me. I ended up doing this crazy presentation for him, um, so shifted to his house 
house. He emailed, he sent me a text like you're hired. And then I worked with him. And that was great for me because he had never had a personal assistant before. So learning and organizing and crafting and getting that, building that trust, which trust with talent is so important, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that show ended up getting canceled. And so I stopped working with him on that level, but he's still like a big brother. Um, but I learned the ins and outs of like just the communication, the dialogue from publicists, managers, eight film agent, TV agent. Uh, Lass was also dabbling in music. So he's working with a, a music manager. So a lot, a lot of insight there. Just, you know, being a fly on the wall, but acting as a um, as an assistant. And I still had my day job. I was still um, an account executive at Global Hue. Right. Um, my bosses were aware that I was working with Laz on the side. Um, I worked for these two extraordinary Black women who really breathed a lot of life into me. I think I was reading something um, recently about how Black women lack mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that fortunate for me, I haven't had an issue there just with my mother, my home base, and then also the women that kind of really molded me in this industry. Uh, so it was great to have that honest dialogue with them, grow with grow within myself, and then being able to be exposed to different things. And I even remember when my first major boss had said to me, um, she'd asked me if I wanted to be promoted. And I said, oh no, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that. And I think we had talked about this before. I was yes. just like, that's one of those moments where you look back and reflect and, you know, every place in my life I've written down. So I'm a strong advocate and believer of journaling. Mm-hmm. I journal often um, and not just pitiful moments, even just like blah days, you know what I'm saying? But moments that capture or if it, if it inflects some type of emotion from me or convicts me in some way, I need to write it down. I need to remember that. I need to capture that because that it's going to truly impact when I look back and like read, like I have journals from high school where like, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the stuff that I was talking about when I was in high school. It's ridiculous. But I, I remember that moment because I journaled about it because I was in an Uber um, recently and it made me think about that moment with my mentor, with my old boss. And he was like, never, he's like, never deny what you deserve. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't take me saying, no, I'm not ready for that as a fault because I don't know. I think that God, everything is divine. So I think that I'm where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be here. But I do think about that moment about people seeing more in you than you see in yourself. Right. Um, and I think that there's power there. Uh, I don't think if I went back in time, I would change that because I mm-hmm. think that I'm where I'm supposed to be. But I do think of that as just a reflective moment of just like, okay, all right. So, um, but yeah, so I started at Global Hue. I went on to IMG Live and IMG Live. I started um, working just more with talent management. Um, and during that time, I got linked up with my friend who I started working with when I was at Global Hue, Malcolm Jenkins. And um, everything just merged and intersect. I work in an industry where everything intersects. Right. So it's easy for me to do both of them Mm -hmm. um, sometimes because I can just be like, oh, hey, I'm friends with this person. We need talent here. Let me integrate this. I know how to market this. And all the while I'm I'm building up my like my marketing chops, my advertising chops, my PR chops. I'm learning what brands want. I'm building a relationship with brands. I'm building relationships with talent, like personal relationships that are authentic and not just through the management teams. Right. And then um opportunities are presenting themselves to me because of that genuine, just me being genuine, me being authentic and me being um, educated on the industry. Right. So let's take it back to when you were not educated on the industry, right? right? Because listen, as someone who took the LSAT, went to law school, I'm (laughs) going to say you made the right choice. Um, But in that moment, you know, when you're in undergrad and you're trying to figure out what's next, one of the the best pieces of advice I got from a lawyer who had been practicing for decades was make sure this is what you want to do, because once you get on this conveyor belt, it can be very hard to get off. Um, So you had this anxiety attack, like right before the LSAT? Yeah, right before, like on the floor, hyperventilating. 
the day of or the night, the night before? before? Okay. So did you decide I'm not taking it? This is not. not I'm not a quitter. I mean, I still went to go take it. You I went still and took it. For it. Yeah. Okay. You still pay for it. When did you decide? All right. You know what? I'm, I'm affirmatively, I know I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to go to London School of Economics. So great story. Um, I had the only school that I had heard back positively from was Indiana University Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Um, and they waitlisted me. Um, so the only school that I heard from was Indiana U- University Bloomington and they waitlisted me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Waitlisting isn't a no. And waitlisting to me is more of like a slow yes. Right. Right. So let me figure out how I can get up there. So I went ahead and went up to the school um, probably in June. And when I went up there, I met with the dean of admissions. His niece, actually, she and I served on student government together. So kind of utilized that relationship. Like, let's meet. Let me talk to you mm-hmm. and kind of just convince him that I needed to go to the school because at that point, Point, I'm still convincing myself that I'm supposed to go to law school. The, the anxiety at this point, also remember, it's June. And I don't have any firm decisions from any school. I had mm-hmm. only been, I had, at that point on the night, on May 9th, I graduated May 18th. On May 19th, I had gotten a soft acceptance into LSC, but it wasn't like a, a full, but I can't explain the way that the UK schools work. It's kind of like we received application. We think we like you. Just give us a couple more weeks to decide. Okay. Right. And so, and I had been waitlisted at Wake Forest and I had been waitlisted. Everything was a waitlist. It's just ridiculous. And so I was like, let me go convince Indiana University Bloomington I should go there. And so I went up there and I still hadn't heard from anyone. And so then I had gotten a full acceptance, I think, to LSC probably the first week of July. I got a full acceptance into Wake Forest and I got a full acceptance into George, George Washington University. my alma mater. Hey. <laughs> Um, and that was for a public affairs um, mm-hmm. master's program. And so I was like, oh, all right, God, we got options. I graduated in May. It's July, but thank you. Right. Amen. Um, and so I'm, it's middle of August. It's like August 21st. And I don't know when you start law school, but let's just imagine that you maybe started school August 20th, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I get an email from the dean of admissions from Indiana University Bloomington. And he said, hey, India, are you still interested in coming to law school, like coming to our school. And I just remember that was the moment. So you asked for the moment. Right. The moment it was then. Because at that point, I hadn't, I don't even think I had fully accepted LSE yet. I kind of just was sitting on it. And that came. And in that moment, when I had the opportunity, I don't know if that was even like an ego stroke, but it was almost like, well, you got into law school. So at least you could say you got accepted, right? Right. Um, and I was like, no, unfortunately, I'm going to go to LSE. But thank you for reaching out. So in that moment, do you feel like it was a knee-jerk reaction or intuition or what? I just knew I didn't want I go, people just seem so miserable. And I have so many friends who are attorneys now. It just, it's like med school. And, and I know that you're saving lives. I think mm-hmm. you guys are doing amazing work. And I always say it's not cardiothoracic surgery <laughs> practicing law. I'm not going to put it in the same category as med- medicine. But anyway, but you unless you are getting do- people off death yeah, row. Yeah, like um, Amal Clooney's. Yes. The Amal Clooney's mm-hmm. of the world. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just, I'm such a creative. I am such a creative. And I, you know, like I wanted, I, when I was growing up, I thought like when I was a child, I thought I wanted to be an actress. I was like, mm-hmm. I wanted to act. And so I think that my my balance to that was doing talent management, working with people who do sure. the thing that I, I'm not doing. Um, and so I just, I was like, nah, this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be. So uh, that was usually the first response is the best, is the truest response, Absolutely. your true self. And so that was my first response that I wanted to go to LSE and not law school. Yeah, I will say. So I went to GW. 
Liberty Law. I was not in the public fair side of the house, but I did go to George Washington University Law School. And I will say the fondest memories I have of law school are just the community that you end up creating and the bonds that you develop because you're all sharing the same misery for three years. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I don't. My clinic was great. I did a domestic violence clinic. That was Aww. awesome. Um, so those things that you're really yeah. impacting community, but just the rest of it, uh -uh. the grind, the exams. Uh -uh. I can't say I look back on that lovingly at all. I think that the best part about going to LSC was the fact that I made a promise to myself that every I was going to travel every month. Mm -hmm. So passport looked crazy. Like, Which you know is what I mean? the greatest part of being in Europe. Because Absolutely. you hop on a high-speed rail, you can be You're in Italy or wherever. Ryan, and this is when Ryan Air, $15. Mm -hmm. I took a flight for free. It was 50 cents to go to Barcelona. That like, is wild. That doesn't make any sense at all. And so just even just the exposure, like my whole family has passports because of me, because, mm -hmm. hey, come see me. It's Once you get out here, we can just travel. It's right. cheap. The hardest part is just getting out here. And so there were so many benefits. And like you said, the community, I built, I fostered so many relationships. Like I'm going to London at the end of this month just to kick it. Mm -hmm. Like Malcolm's playing, obviously, but I'm just going to kick it after that. Just, I think I've been to London three or four times this year already. Just, I'm like, this is where, I, this is like my second home. So, okay. Yeah. So where did, what did you end up studying at LSE? Because people People think economics, what? What does that right. have to do with marketing right. and advertising? So um, the program that I originally applied for was media and power. Mm -hmm. So understanding the natural um, overlap or um, cross-reference of basically the influence of power, the media the, the media has and the power of it just over the overall culture dynamic that we live here. So that's like Foucault, that's everybody that wants to talk about, it. even get into some Freud, mm -hmm. understanding the mental dynamics and basically how you do some real like propaganda and mind control. So that's what I wanted to study because that's all advertising and marketing right. is in a proper manner of what you're doing. And you still have to take a statistics course, which was unnecessary, but we're here. Um, but I ended up doing, they ended up, I guess they didn't have enough people that wanted to do that master's program. So instead they put me in gender media and culture, which I think was even better because it infused a lot of the gender dynamics culturally mm -hmm. and mixed it in still getting that power element that, you know, we talked about with the overall, like how gender and culture inevitably like dictate what we see in the media and how you can actually control that through gender and culture wow. dynamics. And so it was powerful. It was amazing. It was, you're sitting in a room with a girl who was like the head anchor of her TV network in Taiwan, someone who is part of British royalty. Like the rooms were wild. Like just, I wouldn't take it back for anything. And so being able to have those roundtable discussions and truly understand, like, it's like you're sitting in a real mock UN mm -hmm. because people are giving their opinions because, well, the way that Taiwanese culture works versus Canadian culture versus American culture versus Sudanese culture. They're all different. Right. So. so going back to this concept of knowing what you deserve, did you feel like in that moment, I deserve to be in this room? Like I deserve a seat at the table? I didn't not feel like I deserved to be in there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, I, I think it only sounds, it sounds much more incredible reflecting on it now than it did in the moment. Okay. Um, and I don't know how to express that. I think I just wasn't, I'm, I, I go so quickly and I think you mm -hmm. understand Yes. This. Like you go so quickly, just like day by day. Like, you, do you know what you did this morning? You just made sure you did what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. And so you move so quickly and so aggressively and just like so quickly through every moment of your life that it's only when we have these reflective moments like this that you really, I think even, like I said, like that Uber driver said that to me, some, like that conversation was last week and it made me reflect on a conversation that I had eight years ago. Right. You know? And I think that's a problem for a lot of 26ers because mm -hmm. We're always aspiring, mm -hmm. right? I aspire to do this next. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get connected.
connect with this person. I'm going to build this empire. I have this initiative I'm working on that you're not taking a moment to really say, wow, like I made it here. I went from being waitlisted at all these places yeah. and not really knowing and then LSC saying, we think we want you, but like give us a couple of weeks to now I'm in the room. I'm living in London. I'm doing my thing. I'm right. traveling all around. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing culture in a different way and I'm exchanging ideas with some pretty well-respected people. Right. Like it sometimes it does take years. Like it's like a full circle moment yeah. later, way down the line where you're like, that was amazing. And that yeah. was in divine order. Absolutely. I So my sermon that my pastor gave last week talked about ambient anxiety mm-hmm. and how, you know, like, you know, you know, black churches, we get them like them, them, them like um, them, them quotes that rhyme. So he's like, <laughs> he's like, in order for, he's like, you can't be assigned until you alive. And so, anyway, I appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor James. But um, it was so timely mm-hmm. because he talked about how ambient anxiety is essentially this idea that we always want more. Right. And so we're never living in the now. And he was like, he's like, your assignment is to live now. Mm -hmm. He's like, by no means faith without acts type thing. Don't think about what it is you want, but don't make that the mission. Right. He's like, if you're not, you know, like if you're not living in the now, if you're not really kind of taking on the moments that you have, like these moments that are powerful, he's like, then you're missing out what God has really truly assigned you to be in. So to me, I think that to that point, I'm okay with reflecting back because I think that then that's when it really, the lessons that I may have learned then didn't even, tr- I truly wasn't ready for it until that moment mm-hmm. when I actually reflected on it. Yeah. So let's talk about the this idea of now within the concept of that year that you were waiting right. um, to hear back from Global Hue. So, mm-hmm. you know, you send this message now, you got a good track record at this point, right? <laughs> because you knew this person that knew that person that yeah. hit you up with someone that you really wanted to speak to and made right. it happen, even though she really wasn't beat talk to you <laughs> but, but she, she, <laughs> she she held it down though thank yeah, you she, she came through right? um so now you're in this situation where you're like all right i want to work there yeah and you send this message and they're like yeah we don't have anything right now right but, you know right keep in touch exactly did you feel like did you have that that power of now in the moment or were you disappointed or like man i really need this so you know what i was you know so i can't honestly i am it is it's a disadvantage for me to talk about that persistence because because I was a I was a fresh neo. Like mm-hmm. I had just pledged Delta, and so oh, you already knew what was up. Persistence was nothing. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, okay, you want to put me off? That's fine. I mean, I you know I desired, I seeked membership into Delta Sigma Theta mm-hmm. for almost two years. So mm-hmm. I knew what that looked like, being able to kind of show that you were truly invested in the opportunity. So without being annoying, you know right. what I mean, being able to find that perfect balance. And so I would always find an excuse to reach out. So the first initial response of sending my resume, her getting back to me saying, thank you for your time. I'll make sure I stay connected with you. So the next, so that was November. So the next time I sent her a note was January. Happy New Year. I hope all is well. I just finished up exams. Um, I just applied to a scholarship, you uh, know, an internship with McCann Erickson. Excited about that, blah, 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 blah. Then the next time I hit her was, hey, I just got selected for the internship with McCann Erickson. Excited to move through that. Uh, you know, if you're in New York, maybe we can meet up and have lunch. Mm-hmm. Let that go. Finish the internship with McCann Erickson. Hi, internship was amazing. I learned so many great things. Like, you know what I mean? And so then after after I sent her the note about McCann Erickson and finishing that roll up, she sent me a response saying, keep sending me notes. Like she, this is, and that's like a lot. That's love because a lot of people may just ignore your messages. She's like, right. keep sending me notes. It's great that you got the internship. You got that experience. And then she reached out to me in October and said, we have a new role that came up. We'd love to interview you for it. Are you going to be in New York? Let us know. And then I got the role. I got the job offer within a month. Wow. Yeah. And I think it shows that you were in Mm -hmm. because... 
I think, and this happens a lot, I believe, in like cities like New York. Yeah. Like, you know, so many people and people yeah. are always like, I can hook you up with this person. And people tend to cast a wide net yeah. and treat it like almost like telemarketing. Like, yeah. I'm just going to send a bunch of messages and mm-hmm. see who responds without yeah. taking the time to really build the relationship and realize that it's not always an immediate return. Well, that, and it's also just remembering the power of the handwritten note, which mm-hmm. is much more symbolic than the actual sense of like the handwritten note. It is, you know, I interview people now at my job and I'm always disappointed when I get a mass thank you. Right. And that, and I don't know if that's like the slight because our parents are baby boomers, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what that is, but because it is more efficient, right? right? Just to say thank you to everyone, but you didn't have the same conversation with everyone. Mm-hmm. So then I think of there's a level of you're not invested in the opportunity right. and you're going to leave here in a year or two. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, I think that to your point, the casting the wide net is really a disservice to self versus to anyone else um, only just because it shows cases that you're not truly aware of what you're looking for like if you were like I'd rather you be I'd rather you apply to two jobs a day that fit exactly what you want to do your skill set than to send out a hundred applications because the quantity and quality thing is not lost in this industry right absolutely okay so let's go back to Laz because you know you got your like advertising and marketing thing yeah how did you meet Laz Alonzo let's talk about just so we're clear everyone is listening she pulled back her hair We got a a deep side. The the population that listens to this podcast, they know who Laz is. So you you know what's so funny is like, Laz tried to play me one time. He he was doing a photo shoot and um, he had like taken his chain off and was like, here, hold my chain for me. And I remember like looking at the chain because it was like, you know, I'm just like, I'm like 24. You know (laughs) what I mean? The light is bouncing off. Like the light's bouncing off and I'm looking at the the gold. I'm like, this is different for me. I came from Kentucky, like lower middle class. Like this is a lot, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just like looking at how dope that is. And I remember he was like, India, did you just kiss my chain? I said, whoa, <laughs> relax. That is not our relationship. Calm down, bro. <laughs> like it wasn't that deep. I was like, no, I was just looking at it. He's like, nah, I saw you. He's just really, he's really goofy. Um, No. So my client at the time was Verizon mm-hmm. and we were doing a creative campaign um, called Celebrating Your Story, which okay. was a um, Black History Month campaign that Global Hue had ideated and pitched to Verizon to give us the AOR um, business, AOR agency of record. Um, And so we needed to ideate and identify talent. And so my boss at the time was really, really close to Monty. And Monty is um, a phenomenal legend of, or was a phenomenal legend of a manager. He's the original manager of Biz Markey mm-hmm. um, and Jenny Azumi now has taken over that role. But Monty is, and I could talk, I, we could talk about this more, but he's really the one that taught me about knowing when you find the right person you want to manage in talent management mm-hmm. and kind of gave me a lot of insights there of just even managing that relationship. Um, but Anyway, so we ended up selecting. So my boss had a great relationship with Monty. Monty was representing like Common and Idris at this time and Laz. And we ended up um, putting all of them in a deck. And I think we couldn't do Idris because he just did a campaign with Sprint. Unfortunately, because I could be talking about how I was working with Idris. The way you just sucked your teeth. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not getting able to work with Idris. 
Everything happens for a reason. It's fine. Les, um, we're not trying to diminish. No, no, no. Yeah, no. It's just that one out of those there. things. But you know, it's fine. Idris is Idris. Blas <laughs> is my brother. It's fine. I don't know if Idris would be my brother. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, and then Common, I think he had just done AT&T. So okay. we went down the list and was like, Laz is perfect. He hasn't had any partnerships. It's great. And, he, and Laz is so like, especially working in this industry on the on both sides, like the talent side and on the brand side, like Laz is so terrific because when he partners with the brand, he's all in. Mm-hmm. And there are people who you have to like beg and plead to follow their contractual requirements. Laz is doing more than you. He's doing more. He's showcasing. He's showcasing stuff that you didn't even think about to put in the contract. An incredible talent partner. Like more people should reflect what he does and his partnerships. And so we signed him on and it was like a one-year deal. And in that one-year deal, he basically had to do like a like a domestic tour to all these different locations, these Verizon centers. Wow. And someone from the agency had to go on tour with him and that was me. And so, you know, when you're spending, you know, in a span of like six months, different times with these with this person, you just inevitably build a relationship. It's the same thing. Like I'm on, I went, I spent like 20, like, no, nah, like 50, like 10 or 15 appearances with um, Quavo. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a relationship that I have now, him and Wale, like, because I've spent so much time with them on the road because of the work they were doing with my, my current clients. So you just naturally do it. And then, uh, but Laz and I started talking. He was like, what are you looking for? And I was just like, well, you know, it's my 25th birthday in Dallas. And he was like, we were sitting down having drinks in the W. And he was like, India, what's going on? I was like, well, today's my birthday. He was like, oh my gosh, how old are you turning? It's like, I'm turning 25. He's like, that's incredible. He's like, but you know, up until this point, you were being graded off of your potential. Now it's what you actually are able to accomplish. Wow. And I was just like, "Mm." Okay. All right. So thank you, I guess. So we're talking some more and he's talking about what do you want to do? And I tell him and he just immediately just started speaking life into me and feeding um, just more knowledge. And Monty's talking to me about how when you do talent management, it can't just be anyone. He was like, if you you know you found the right person, if you're not doing something begrudgingly, he's mm-hmm. like, if you can be up until 3 a.m. in the morning and it's just natural and you're vibing with the person you're managing, that's right. He's like, you can't want it more than they want it. You need to be inspired. You need to inspire one another. And so all of that is just like really, like, like really like bringing my light brighter. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And I'm just like, I need to be, I need to stay connected to these people. And so I'm asking Laz and he's like, all right, let's try to figure out if we can work together. So once again, going back to my, my roots of being persistent and following up, right. I follow up with him. I do this crazy dope presentation for him. And then he says, yes, and I'm his assistant. So let's talk about what that means. Because I think when people think about assistants, you know, they think about like, I don't know, folding socks. Yeah, like things yeah. like that. Going to Starbucks. Like, yeah. And for you, you've got a career. Yeah, like that, a day job. You know, you're thriving at your yeah. day job at this point, working on these accounts and doing all these amazing things. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, can you manage me? He said, can you assist? Yeah. So you what did that be my like? assistant? Yeah. So I, it, in that role, it was more so like I organized his schedule because he had all these different teams mm-hmm. that weren't working together. Okay. So he had his management team, his film and TV team, his music team. And so I was the one source that basically could help identify if he was saying yes or no to something. So they would send something. So we had one email address that would be utilized and they would send all requests into that email. We would filter through that with him. He would go through it and then we would reply yes or no. And then I would add everything to the calendar. So managing his calendar, you know, managing, like he didn't have a place to live. So finding him a place to live when he moved to New York, Mm -hmm. you know, organizing like dinners if he wanted to go out to eat or something like that, something fancy. He wanted to order certain things. Like it just depends on what it was. But I wasn't 
wasn't in his house, like cleaning up his house, you know, his house or anything like that. But it was more of like an administrative role of like organizing his schedule and making sure he took calls when he was supposed to, like telling him when he needed to like meet somebody, if he needed to fly out, giving him his flight details, buying the flight for him, stuff like that. So you're doing this while having a demanding J job, which requires travel. Did you ever feel like I'm in too deep and this is too much to, to balance? No. So how were you balancing it all? I don't know. <laughs> Just doing it. Yeah, Again, you just go. Again, just like, I'm just going to get it. Get like it we talked about. It happen, yes. Like you just go. You just go. You don't even have time to reflect. See, I'm not a complainer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I and I say that because um, I manage quite a few people um, and people complain. And so it's always a different spirit. I think it's, I think it's important to um, decompress. Don't get me wrong. But if you're complaining about something that you can't fix or we can't truly unravel or unpack, you know, my question always comes down to like, are you happy in what you're doing? Like we might have terrible days. Right. We might have terrible days. Don't get me wrong. But if there's a core issue about what it is that you dislike or what you're constantly complaining about, then we need to figure out if this is where you need to be. Because I'm not about stifling people. Like I want you to be happy. I like good energy. I like hard workers. I want you to reflect on what... I want people to be a reflection of me. So you're a reflection of my leadership. So like, let's work together on this. And um, I think that for me, I just, I've never seen anything less than the grind. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like my, my mother has always instilled it. Like, I mean, when I was in school, you have to think about this. I went, I got a full ride to Spelman because I had over a thousand hours of community service. That's on top of the fact that like, I was working two jobs. I was student government, golf. I just did too much, like all the time. And I don't say too much, but you know what I mean? Like if you're always in overdrive, I sometimes, Sometimes I feel like if I don't have a lot to do, I'm going to um, get too complacent. You've been juggling your whole life, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did you go from the assistant piece, though, to the management piece? Because now you have a right. roster. Right, I know. So um, my homeboy linked me with Malcolm Jenkins. Once again, we had another Verizon ad that we needed to do. We needed an NFL player. Um, Malcolm graciously agreed to be in the ad for us. Um, And we just naturally built an organic relationship. His wife is a Delta. He's an Omega. Um, So we had Greek ties. Shout out to Greek ties. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just stayed in contact. I helped him with his foundation, um, with the work he was doing back in 2011. And so I was just like, oh, bet. This is great. Like helping that kick off with the first camp. And then just naturally flowing to like, oh, it's his 25th birthday. I flew in for his party. Oh, I want to go to a game. Like things like that. Just like natural friendship stuff. Um, And then fast forward to 2015, he is playing for the Eagles. And so he's closer Mm because before he played for the Saints. And so he's playing for the Eagles. I'm still helping with his foundation, like volunteering at the camp that he has in the summer. Um, But not as like heavy involved in the day to day, just like friend stuff. And so I'm at the camp and we're talking and I'm like, and I just see how he's got so much going. I was like, you need some help. Like you, I can see right now that you got a lot going on. And mind you, I'm like a senior manager at IMG Live, like doing IMG stuff where it's incredibly, um, there's a lot of expectations on IMG perfection. IMG is a big deal. Yeah. Yes. Like, so I'm doing a lot in my day job and traveling nonstop, international, domestic, all that stuff. But I, but it's heavy on my spirit. So I'm like, let me just talk to you. Like, let's just see, let's talk about it. He's like, and he's, he's definitely cautious initially. He's just like, you know, I don't know. We're friends. 
boyfriends and friends working together doesn't always work out together. It doesn't always work out well, especially when money's involved. And I'm like, let's just try it. I was like, actually, for the first month, I'll work for free. I'll work for free. If you see value in me, let's let's figure this out, right? Um, and my initial conversation with him was just to be his assistant. I was like, you need to get organized. Like, and I, it's so funny because I have a boss who just told me recently, one of my, my old IMG boss, he was like, he said to me, and this, this would probably be offensive to some people. He was like, he's like, you're so freaking disorganized. He's like, if you figured out how to be organized, you would be absolutely amazing. Like, you'd be perfect. And I was like, and so I, my rebuttal to him was, you're calling me disorganized. I was like, then what are you? Because the only reason, like, because you inspired me. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm a student to you. I was like, but I'm creative. I was like, I have relationships. I have partnerships. I was like, no one's perfect. And I was like, and in your leadership and management style, you need to understand that people aren't perfect. Like, you're leading an entire agency and you're completely disorganized. So mm-hmm. I know that there's still hope for me. And if you're assisting other people listen, to listen, be organized, clearly listen, you're not disorganized. Listen, listen, but anyway, continue. But, it, but I let it rock. I let it rock yeah. because I because what he's talking about, they're talking about things that we can get into the semantics of later. But it was it's always interesting to get that feedback because I think that you can give what you need to give in certain situations. In my agency life, my focus is strategy, creative and relationships. Mm-hmm. I have someone on my team who does the organizing and taking the notes and things like that. That's what you do. You find people who 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 meet your your ends. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's fine. But yeah, with Malcolm, I organized his life. I was an assistant for like a year. And then one day we were talking. He was like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I want to manage talent one day. He's like, oh, that's crazy. I was just telling somebody that you're my manager. So he just anointed you. Anointed. <laughs> anointed me, sis. Anointed. Um, and yeah, so I've been managing him since 2017 into 2016. So okay. Yeah. So what does the switch look like when you pivot from assistant to manager? I'm reviewing deals. We're talking through, we're negotiating, we're, but I do every, like literally people talk about the, they ask this question all the time. I'm like, I'm still whatever I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I say that because we are friends and we work together and it works. And don't get me wrong, like we get into arguments, like we'll disagree all the time. You know, Malcolm is really big in social activism and I'm all about protecting his brand and image. And there are things that we butt heads on consistently about how he wants to react to things or respond to things. And the balance, the balance and the reason that we work so well together is because we are friends. Mm -hmm. And I say that to people because some people might fight about managing people that you're friends with. And I disagree because I look back on what Monty said to me all those years ago about not, it's like, it's, there's something about not complaining at three o'clock in the morning working for something. Like if I'm doing something, I've taken work trips, I've been on work trips in France for my current day, like my current nine to five right now. And I'm doing stuff for Malcolm, like reading through a contract. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't bother me because I'm invested in the vision and the goal. And we have a bigger picture, ultimately, of what we're looking to accomplish. Because he's so capable of so many amazing things. Like the conversations and the people that he's met and the people that are invested in him are incredible. So it's just I'm I'm very excited to be a part of the journey and to be um, and for him to be invested in me, to see the worth and value that and the knowledge that I offer. And then just to be able to have a common goal of like really like taking over the world. just collectively across social activism, sports, nonprofit, marketing, all that stuff. Okay. So since you brought up social activism. Yeah. And you are familiar with the idea of brand building and connecting from a few different fronts, Mm -hmm. managing talent, having the major accounts Mm -hmm. at your job and all that other stuff. Where do you stand on athletes lifting their voice and doing more than just running down the field? Because people have strong opinions. Yeah, they do. And there is a lot of money on the line. Yeah. And a brand will say, 
we done. Like we will drop you right. because of what you said or the backlash from yeah. what you did. So what's your opinion? Do you think that there is a line that can be drawn where athletes can be activists and speak their minds? I'm not going to ask you specifically about kneeling, but how do you feel about it? Well, Malcolm never kneeled. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was a decision that we that, like was consciously made just okay. because, you know, just like Colin talked to people who were um, in the service, like just kind of military service. Malcolm spoke to his family members in the military service. And so his, you know, Malcolm is a scholar above everything else. Mm-hmm. And so with his decision to lift his fist, there was a history there of being able to talk about how there needs to be a level of equality that is not actually being achieved right now. And mm-hmm. so how do I take something that has historically had a presence and an influence and really utilize that and tell that same story and message here? Because naturally that's what the fist embodies and it's all about that empowerment there. And so he was never kneeling, you know, even though, but I think people always kind of like clump that in of like what Colin was doing. And we can talk about the semantics of that. I mean, Malcolm really did a great job of wanting to unify. You know, Malcolm is the one that started the group that had two players from each team. Mm -hmm. So when Colin was doing it during the preseason, Malcolm saw what he was doing and said, we need to get organized before they try to divide divide us. So he he started a group chat with two players from every team in the league and said, all right, guys, we need to decide what we're going to do so we can support Colin. Like that was Malcolm who did that. And so there are moments, you know, there are moments that I see that I'm just like, he's just the level of like just the the forward thinking that he's able to establish and what he was looking to do, I think was really on point despite the diversion and propaganda of media, like the messaging they put out there. But I think because outside of my management of Malcolm and understanding what's going on just with these brands, like the Papa John's and the Nikes and the Under Armors and things like that, is that people really are operating in a state of fear. And I think that what Nike did wasn't monumental, honestly. They just decided to pick a side. Like they they picked the side, whereas everyone else was just floating. And I think what's really crazy and incredible to me is that they pick the side. I mean, like 80% of the league is African-American. You know what I mean? Like right. you gotta think about these things. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's why like, I love brands like Patagonia who like, I mean, they vehemently disagree with Donald Trump and they have advertising that is against this man. Like mm-hmm. you gotta pick a team. And if you don't want to shop here anymore, baby, like that's fine. But I think that if you're picking a side that isn't necessarily being directly offensive, like there's nothing that these players did that was saying we're burning the flag. We're right. turning down if people actually wanted to listen. But a lot of middle America doesn't read, unfortunately. True story. They don't listen. They don't read. And being from Kentucky, that's a strong statement, but I stand by what I said. So because of that, they feed into the propaganda that's said in the news or what they read and they don't get their facts. And because they don't get their facts, a lot of brands are allowing middle America to dictate their positioning on things. And if we're being completely honest, I'm not sure if Paul and Janet from middle America are the ones that are actually, you know, buying from your brand, especially when you know that the buying power of African-Americans is going to reach 1.3 trillion. Exactly. So there's that. And I think that Nike picked the right side because they knew that. I was like, people could talk about it being like about Colin. I was like, it was an economical decision. They saw the numbers just like every other brand saw. And they said the buying power is 1.2 trillion. Got it. All right. So this is the side we're going to be on. So y'all can praise Nike. I mean, they also wanted to deflect from the fact that they just had all these Me Too movement, Me Too movement firings as well. Thank so. you. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I was like, y'all want to be on. I was like, they also had like five executives they had to let go. So they're distracting. So, yeah. And and that, I think, you know, sometimes we're like quick to be like, they're invited to the cookout without no. re- 
really digging deep into why a decision was made Absolutely. and understanding what else is going on. Absolutely. Like people talk about Amazon and taking it up to $15, not, known, not knowing that they stripped away a bonus structure. They stripped away the bonus structure. Yeah. So, so you're giving them, you're just giving them, you're just spreading out the money across the board. You're not actually helping anybody. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, economically, you can think about it, like getting all your money at once versus getting your money in a tail end, but it's just like, nah, I think I'm good. I mean, the minimum wage minimum is already growing significantly depending on each state. Like in mm-hmm. New York, it's already, so you're adding a couple of dollars to that. But at that point, I would want a choice. Do I get the bonus or do I get the increase? Right. So, exactly. but once again, people aren't getting choices and people don't have the facts, but you read the headlines. I was reading something the other day that was saying that Fox and CNN are actually the worst resources for news. Like you actually don't learn anything mm-hmm. from actually being in, in plugged into those networks, which I thought was pretty powerful. And what's fascinating to me is I still read quite a bit. Yeah. Um, even though I feel like our attention spans are diminishing because three just, seconds. Yeah. Information overload. Fish. Right. <laughs> but what I, I'm always tripping about is like major well-respected media outlets who have typos in their Can we articles. talk about it? I'm like, everyone just is in a race to be the first. Absolutely. Can we talk about it? <laughs> I, and it's crazy because I work, you know, where I work, like we actually release a media publication and I'll be reading our stuff and I'll be like, Oh, okay. All right. It's okay. <laughs> and then the amount of retractions and right. corrections, it's like everyone just wants to be the first person to announce something. Yeah. The, the, the race to the first is real. Yeah, it's absolutely. Real. It's real. So, okay. So going back to your management, how many clients are on your roster right now? So I only manage Malcolm and okay. I, it's, and I say that because, and I've been, cause I've been asked by like two or three other people mm-hmm. to manage him and I tried it. It's kind of like, um, that episode survivors and Morris LeBron's old show that he was executive producer on where the cousin who was the manager tried to take on another player. Mm-hmm. He tried to do it, but you can't do it. I can't replicate what I'm getting. Cause they, what they want is they see what you're doing with your ace. Right. Right. And they want you to replicate that exactly with them. If I, if I counted up the amount of time that I am, that I'm invested in this man and tried to double that, that would have to be a full-time job. Absolutely. And, and I, and it's so funny cause I get into this disagreement with Malcolm all the time. Cause he's like, you just need to be full-time with me. And I'm like, no, I like having my own. Like, <laughs> right. I like, I like doing both. Honestly, there is going to become a time where I'm going to have to probably work with him whole, like just holistically across everything, because he really is creating like a mega conglomerate company, Mm -hmm. like across all of his different, he's touching so much from like real estate to entrepreneurship, to fashion, to social activism, to his his foundation. And so there's going to need to be a point where like everything umbrellas up and we're just going to have to have our own Magic Johnson enterprises, basically. I'm down for that. Exactly. And so when that day comes, we'll, we'll be there. But as a stands now, I feel like there's still a little bit more that I need to learn so that when, you know, when he does tap me for full time, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Like, let's rock. Mm-hmm. So. So to be so young, you've accomplished a whole lot. And have I? Oh my gosh. See, don't start the 26er I thing know. where it's like, I have so much more to do. <laughs> we all do that. But seriously, to be, you know, managing a professional athlete, having worked for more than one reputable advertising agency mm-hmm. and to be traveling the world and doing all those things, that is commendable. Right? Thank so you. So you, you can't do that without being extraordinary on an ordinary day consistently. <laughs> but let's talk about it. So tell me about a specific time where you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go with um, something personal because I think that 
I think you say something. So something that I struggle with, which I'm sure we all do, especially those who work with being humble, but also not being, but being cocky, but being confident. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that balance is like, you know, whenever, you know, like that quote that you read, like you never know what somebody's going through, like that kind of thing. And right. so for me, family is very important to me. I lost my father at a young age. And up until that point, I was really, I was really invested in like getting rid of my sister because I was a daddy's girl and mm-hmm. it just needed to be one daughter, honestly. Um, but after he passed, my sister and I became best friends. So like people think we're twins. Like honestly, we're like almost Irish twins. So How that's far like apart a, are you? We're 15 months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we're close, not fully Irish, but mm-hmm. almost. Um, so that is my ace boon coon. Like that is my heart. And so my sister ended up getting married in 2014 and she and her husband were looking to relocate to New York because he got in a job in Connecticut and she got a job in White Plains. And then my brother wasn't, I have a younger brother who's 13 years, my junior. And he just was, you know, going through his own thing in high school. And he, I just was like, it was really on my spirit. And I keep talking about like this, this spirit and like faith thing, because I'm really faith led. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, believe in whatever you want to believe in, but like energies or like whatever moves you, but whatever is keeping you grounded. Like I really advocate for people to figure that out, figure out what is going to keep you grounded and keep you moving. And so it was really on my spirit that I needed to take my brother up out of Cincinnati. So I'm originally from Kentucky, but where I'm from in Kentucky is across the bridge from Cincinnati. So the nasty um, natty. Yeah. (laughs) All of that. And so I had been begging my parents for like a year to take him and they were, they were fighting me, fighting me. And then finally I just kind of put my foot down because I was just like, listen, he's got to come. I don't, or I'm not going to talk to y'all no more. I don't Wait, know. you threatened your parents? Yeah, I said he has to come. He needs to be with me. He's clearly, I mean, this boy was doing craziness. Like, not like why, I mean, I have some stories, but I'm not going to put my brother's business out there like that, but he was wilding out. And I was like, I need him here with me. So this was your mom and your stepfather. stepfather. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was their son, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy that he's my half brother because to me, he's Well, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. He's full-blooded. He's full-blooded. That's my boo. And so, I was like, he got to come. He needs to come with me. I need to get him out of Cincinnati. I just don't think that that's not where he needs to be. And so they fight me. They fight me like, nah, we got it. We got it. And I'm like, all right, heard you. Fine. So then some other craziness happens. And I'm like, nah, seriously, if you guys don't give me my brother, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, serious. And you're in your 20s. At this yeah, point. I'm like 28, 27, 27, maybe 20. Yeah, 27. Um, So I call my brother and he's so wise, despite all of his foolishness. And I'm like, bro, I want to take you. I want to bring you. I want to bring you to New York. And he was, just, and I was like, how does that make you feel? And he was like, I was like, does that make you feel away at all? And he was just like, I don't know why it would. He's like, you're my sister. I'm safe with you. And it was just like a wow, moment. That's heartwarming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he came up. So we're all living together. So it's my brother, my sister and my brother-in-law. We're all living together. Everything's like, you know, we got our growing pains, but we're figuring it out. We live in like this amazing house in College Point. And I remember my brother came home one day. He was like, I mean, it was just like a wealthy neighborhood, but we did I ended up, you know, I'm a negotiator. I negotiated mm-hmm. that rent down. <laughs> like, Jesus wants more for us. <laughs> it was so big. It was like huge. Um, so we're just like living. We're like, we're thriving. We're going through. And then one night, it was actually today, October 15th. My sister comes into my room and she's like, sis, um, I called you. I need you to come in. She's like, Stefan has collapsed. And Stefan is my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. And so he was seizing on the floor in my sister's arms. Newlyweds. They were college sweethearts. She's my sister's first love, first everything. And they're like, young if you're only 15 yeah, months apart. Yeah. So newlywed couple, all of that. And so um, 
she ends up, and my sister works in public health for the CDC. So she's like got that health life stuff, all that stuff down. She's kind of down his pulse, like just knowing what to do. So she's like, I called 911, call the ambulance. She's like, just look out for the ambulance. And so we're go- I'm going back and forth between the window and the room and she's counting his pulse down and uh, it never, he, she can't, she loses his pulse. Like it doesn't come back. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't start coming back again. And so the ambulance comes and, you know, in those moments, you feel like everybody's moving really, really slow, yeah. like just moving very, very slow. And so um, they try to resuscitate him and they never resuscitate him. So he ended up actually like, cause my, so my sister was, she's, he's laying in her arms. Like, so that's where he is. And um, mind you, remember my brother is living with us right. and there's two ambulances, come, like crews that come in. There's a fire truck team that comes in and then like police, like it was a lot of people in the house. My brother never woke up. Wow. Never woke up. And that, and to this day, I say that's God um, because I could never imagine the trauma of being 14 years old, seeing that happen. Right. That would, because seeing a yeah, lifeless, because even to this day, I mean, I had my own trauma, right? Mm-hmm, of course. And so we go to the hospital, you know, the doctor says his heart is dead. He's not, he's never, he's not coming back. And in that moment, I just remember, and it's the same thing that I did when my father died when I was eight years old. I came home, my mother said, your father has passed away. And the first thing I said to my mother, and this is what I told my mother, that was like, this is when you needed to put me in therapy because this is not normal. I was like, well, dad would want us to move on. Like, that's the first that thing I said. That was the first thing you said that was at the, eight years not, old. I didn't cry. Like I didn't, I didn't cry my dad. I didn't cry. And so, and the same thing is happening with my, with my sister's husband. So I'm like, first thing I'm doing is calling her job. I'm calling my mom, getting her a flight, like immediately fix it mode. So yes. we talk about being like who I am, like being a giver, like immediately fix it mode. Like people in my, my line sisters call me Olivia Pope. And it's like those things of like, how can I fix it? Like, mm-hmm. but we saw how that worked out for Olivia. Like you have right. your moments where you break down and you have, and this is why I'm a strong advocate of therapy. Like I, you know, before you turn 30, everyone needs to go to therapy, handle your, handle your stuff, handle your issues, go to therapy, figure out what your things are. A lot of us are self-aware, but it's good to hear people repeat back your issues to you. Um, But yeah, so immediately, I mean, I was, I was challenged to be very extraordinary that day because I had to also go pick up my, because when we got home from the hospital, my brother was at school. So go picking up my, go to picking up my brother and having to tell him that the one male figure who he was starting to look up to that was disciplined, that was educated, that wore a suit every day, that did what he said he was going to do, had just died. Wow. Um, And that was pretty, that was pretty heartbreaking more so because I knew how that would impact my brother. He was on the path from like having F's to being having straight A's while he was here. And it was because we had a unit. He was was what what we were telling him in our worst when reflected in our actions. Yeah, and to village. see that, to see that no longer be there was challenged. And I saw him go through the moments. I saw him go through his trials. My sister, my, you know, like she took off almost two months from work, but I couldn't stop. I had to go to work because someone had to, because now we lost a salary. Mm-hmm. So we needed to move, like had to get my brother, make sure he could stay in school, make sure he's doing what he's supposed to be doing in school. He started acting out some. So it was a process where I was forced to be extraordinary for probably like eight months. And I cut off a lot of people during that time period because if you weren't adding and you were trying right. to take, I couldn't do you didn't it. Didn't have anything extra to give. To Absolutely else. not. Absolutely not. And so, and pe- it's crazy because my sister to this day, like people would never know that she went through what she went through. And she says to people, they're like, "How did you do it? Like, how did you heal from that so young?" Because my mother lost my father when she was 33, and 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 it was crazy because my mother went through another form of depression when my sister's husband died because she felt like she was reliving Triggered. my father. So she went through a moment too. But my sister was just like, I, my, so my, so when my sister's husband passed away, my cousin called me and said, Jordan lost Stefan, who was her companion and her purpose. She was like, and now you siblings who would, it would never.
never make sense for y'all to ever live together because we were never going to, we were, when I tell you we were never going to live together ever again because she was doing public health and I'm in New York and my mm-hmm. brother's in Cincinnati. Never made any sense. My cousin was like, but now Gary Paul, that's my brother's name, will be her purpose and you will be her companion. Wow. And that's how we healed. And so that was a definitely a trying period. And I, you can't tell me I can't do any, like my sister, and my brother, like we can take over the world after that. So, so when that happened, I mean, had he been sick before? Uh-huh. Like, so nothing. This is out of the blue. And so, and I don't know the physical term. My sister will probably kill me because I'm going to fudge it. But essentially, I liken it to this when I layman terms it because like I'm really, really into marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. And she's got the science stuff down. I liken it to, remember, like, you know how they, as us as African-Americans, we can't have, um, they tell us to do sickle cell testing. Yes. Right? So like to see if you carry the trait. So the drink, the gene that his mom and his dad carry, because he's the only child from his mom and his dad, his brother and sister have a different father. The gene that his mom and his dad carried, when it came together, it de- it basically has this like special condition that it creates where it attacks the heart and people who have it are going to die before the age of 30. And he died at 27. Oh my gosh. So he was turning, so he was 26, he was turning 27 that year. So he, and, and it's so untraceable that like my sister's, most of my sister's best friends are doctors. Like unless a doctor knew and this is why I, everyone says, like, go, go get your DNA. Like, I had told one of my friends she was getting married, and I was like, get your DNA tested, like, mm-hmm. just to see, because that's the only way it'll come up. You'll never know what you have. And she's like, no doctor would ever would ever test for it. Right. So he was inevitably going to be, it was just going to, it was bound to happen. So my sister likens it to the fact that, like, she was his gift for mm-hmm. the year and a half that they were married. Okay. So your sister loses her husband a year and a half into the marriage. Mm-hmm. You have custody of your brother. You're yeah. like 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Living in New York, yeah. which is not cheap. No. Because people forget, like, grief is one thing, the financial implication yep. of burying somebody. Not only that, but also picking up the pieces afterwards and keeping the lights on. Absolutely. Very real. And it's also very real very to do real. that while you're the guardian for someone. Absolutely. And your sister's in the house and she's not working for a couple of months. So did you say, like, how are these bills going to get paid? Or were you just like, I got this. I'm going to make it happen. My line sisters, um, one of my line sisters, we, my, you know, Praise God for just line sisters and people who love you. My boss at the time gave me a thousand dollars. I used that to pay rent. She's like, this is a gift, like use it for whatever you need. So that paid for the first month that we needed to pay for. My mm-hmm. line sisters gave me twelve hundred dollars that paid because like, I balanced it with my salary mm-hmm. that paid for the second month. And then by the third month, the insurance money came and then we moved. So tribe like wow. that is essentially what it was, because the way that we were living, like we talked about, like we were we were living off of multiple salaries. That's how we were able to pay for the housing. Within this big old house, my sister had two cars. Wow. Um, so she has her own bills. Like, so it's just, we got to figure out how she can condense cars. Mm-hmm. And she went from being a newlywed with all of these gifts and all of these things. That's why the house was so big that we lived in. And like, now we need to like condense because we don't need all those things right. and all those things that you have. And many of them are reminders too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All those things that you have are things that are just, we're just taking up space. So, and have memories attached to them. Right. So yeah. you downsize. And then your brother, is he still with you? Did you oh, go back yes. home? yes. So absolutely. you're still a parent, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So you're traveling, managing talent, which is like parenting some days if you ask me. <laughs> that was not the Malcolm is easy. He's really self-sufficient. Well, that's great. You're blessed. <laughs> having worked with talent. I know. You know. Be. Exactly. So what does a typical day look like for you now? Well, my brother's in college. So you got him into college. Hey, another advance at Go Black Men. Hey. Absolutely. <laughs> um, my brother's 
is in college. He's when he's going to Eastern Kentucky University in, in Kentucky. Um, my sister's in New Mexico. She got an assignment in New Mexico with the CDC. Mm-hmm. So it's just me. Like, and it's crazy because, you know, I'm obviously still like being motherly to my sister, my brother. Even of course. Like, we just did like a three-way call earlier today. Um, but my day is still like, like tomorrow Malcolm has to be on Showtime. So I'm going to go to a client meeting that I have for my normal job. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to go to his Showtime appearance. And then we're going to see if he is going to do another show. And then he and I are just going to connect to talk about some business. And I'm going to go back to my job. I might go work out. I have mentoring later on. So, you know, I'm just going through the motions, normal stuff. I love how you called it going through the motions. Like, it's just <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and then go to my nine to five and sit there and push numbers and then go home and cook dinner. That is not going through the motions, what you just described. <laughs> you know, you got to have balance. Like, um, I found myself getting so aggressive. Like, I have this really, really challenging client that I'm happy that I'm no longer to be working on. And it's probably been the most tumultuous year of my entire life outside of the personal impact, professionally, the most tumultuous mm-hmm. because I have such a challenging client that I cannot shake them to get right and mm-hmm. to the point that it's just like, it's just not a good fit, but it was changing me. And I don't know if you know about this, like if you've ever experienced where you've had to work on something and you saw the negative impact it was having on you. Yeah. Just like I'm cussing. I'm just out of character stuff. that was just not me. Like I didn't even cuss. Like, what are we doing? Where, where did you learn those words? Right. And just angry, just a lot of bottled up anger. So it was crazy because I started boxing and I was like, I actually don't think that boxing is helping me with this. To help get the aggression out. Right, exactly. No, it actually made me more aggressive. So I started doing it. So I went back into hot yoga, which is incredible. And like really just got me recentered. And now I'm just like, everything is fluff. You know what I mean? Like everything is like raindrops and mm-hmm. lollipops and all that stuff. So it's way better, way, way better. Uh, but working out is essential. Absolutely. And, and not even just for like staying healthy, but like workout is essential to just balance just the craziness that is our life. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like somebody bump your shoulder in the subway, people get in full on brawls about that. And it's like, you're not mad about that. Right. So you need to find something that'll release and get those endorphins going and like be happy and find joy. There's some type of like peace that I get from working out. So yeah, but I'm like the type of workout that like I work out because I want to like be healthy, but I'm still going to eat that cookie. So, <laughs> so you got to balance it out. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I'm glad you said that because sometimes people come on the show and they're like, you know, I'm very regimented and, you right. know, and I'm like, you don't ever cheat. Come right. on. Nah, we I don't live do. that life. I I live my life. Yesterday, I just made meatloaf, mashed potatoes and broccoli because I was thinking about my grandmother who just recently passed. And I was like, oh, my grandma would make this. It's going to be so good. <laughs> and, you know, I made turkey meatloaf, but I was like, but I threw it out. And it was and that's another thing that's therapeutic for me is like mm-hmm. cooking. So you got to find the things that's going to give you them small joys. Like so my now typically outside of church, my Sundays consist of watching Nollywood films which is like Nigeria, Nigerian Hollywood mm-hmm. and um, cooking and yeah, just trying to kick back and go to yoga. So you do have some downtime. Yeah, I have to. I'm an introvert. Thank so. you. Okay, I'm glad you said this <laughs> because people assume yeah. that when you're in these kinds of roles and you can be aggressive and you're a talker that you're automatically an extrovert Absolutely and not. that is not the case. You I have this debate. Outgo- you can be an outgoing. First of all, let's educate. Introvert and extrovert is about where you can 
gets your energy. Energy. Thank you. Introvert is actually about where you get your energy. It is possible to be an outgoing introvert. However, outgoing introverts have the hardest time of being able to decompress and get their energy back. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be advocates for ourselves and self-care of knowing what we need to do to recharge. Thank and you. so my recharging consists of like most of my Saturdays and Sundays, I really try to do a lot of nothing, which is crazy if I'm not traveling. And if I am like, for instance, I was, I just traveled abroad and then I've had to do a work trip back to back. So I didn't have a day. And so I saw myself like I was probably my battery was like on zero on Friday. I couldn't do anything. People were like, hey, can you come out? And I'm like, I'm just not in a good mood. And I needed to be honest because I was like, if you're not going to get the best out of me, like I right. need to do nothing all day. So and having a good friend circle that understands that about you, mm -hmm. like they won't guilt you or make you feel away is important. I mean, we're of the age now that we need to have friendships that add value and add life to us, not make us stressed out. Absolutely. So. I'm glad you said this because they don't hear me, though. <laughs> I don't I don't know how many times I've had this conversation because people assume that yeah. I'm an extrovert and that is not the case. Not. I can be outgoing introvert, but you got but you're going to see me like decompress. It's going to take me a while to decompress, though. It takes like a full 24, 36 exactly. hours. Exactly. And I, I find for me that sometimes I like check out. I'm still there. Like I'm yeah. still in whatever the public yeah. setting is. But in my mind, I'm already home. Yeah. So like okay. I've just disengaged yeah. and like got to wrap it up. I'm Time like, to go. I'm like president of Irish exiting. So like <laughs> I will, my friends will say something to me. Like I will like, I'll be in an event. I'll show up. Like I'll make sure you see my face. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, hey girl, how you doing? Oh my God, I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And I will dip. <laughs> like, because I already see where this is going. Right. <laughs> I know about that for sure. <laughs> I'm like, eh, I see where this is going. My friends called me out on it a couple of years ago. He was like, oh yeah, I get that about you. He was like, you're definitely the person that like, I'll look around for you, you just disappear. And I'm like, well, listen. It's necessary in New York because there's so many different competing obligations. Sometimes you just got to make an appearance and keep it moving. You have to because yes. people, you, well, I'm invested. I love you. I think you're amazing. I think you're great. Um, but I do better in like lounge settings, right. house parties. I like the energy. Do not make me come to a club. <laughs> it's not happening. I can't hear you. You can't hear me. If you don't have a section, I can't be there. I need to make sure I have a seat if I want to have a seat. And then my one friend was like, oh, you're so bougie. I was like, no, I just manage expectations. Yes. And that is the whole thing. People try to say they call me a little uppity too, but you have to know what works for you. Absolutely. And I'm just not, I'm not in the business of being uncomfortable. Exactly. And I don't want my ears ringing for like 12 hours after so I, I leave you. I, I have earplugs that I bring with me because we, my, one of my clients is, you know, I have multiple clients that are liquor clients. So I'm, I'm in some type of setting nonstop that is mm -hmm. ridiculously loud. So I like to have my hearing when I'm 70. Uh, listen, I'm with you. <laughs> so tell me before we get out of here, what's on the horizon for India Robinson? Uh, so looking to see what's going to happen business wise with Malcolm. So he's got so, as I mentioned, he's got so many industries that he's running and looking at. And so he's made it very, very clear that he wants me to play a significant role in that. Mm -hmm. And so identifying that he just started a, he just started a media company. I, I had pitched him. I was like, I want us to start a media company. And so, you know, LeBron's doing it and we see Carmelo doing it just with them, their EP status. And so I want him to get into that, especially with the social activism. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually doing his first EP project, which will be out on Netflix next year. Nice. It's going to be incredibly dope. Just it aligns perfectly with what he has going on. And the director he's working with has a lot of, um, she's been qualified by Ava DuVernay, which is enough for me to just it's done. So everything's a wrap. <laughs> Ava's perfection. Thank you. Um, so getting in, getting heavily involved with those um, outlets and still and there's a couple more things like I talked about there was no blueprint for how I've gotten the skill sets that I've gotten and so there's a couple more things I want to like dibble and dabble
doing industry wise so that I can really be a holistic expert. So mm-hmm. I've had so many different clients, but there's a couple of clients that I haven't had yet. And then once I get those clients, I'm going to be like, I'm good. Oh, you're, you're definitely going to be good. You are good already. <laughs> but you're going to be even better. Hey, thank you, sis. <laughs> thank you. So where can people find you online? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. It's my name. It's India L. Robinson. I'm on Twitter. It's Isla Tess. My Twitter is, is really hefty. Like I'm really giving you a lot of personality a lot of times. Um, but you know, cause you can't really do that on Instagram. You see my travel pics, my cool, beautiful pics on IG, but on Twitter, I'm really a lot funny. Oh, and I'm really funny in my IG story. I use the IG story to give you life. Honestly, you should do it. Yeah. I'm see, I'm, I'm tech deficient. But DeMarcus, our producer, I was just telling him last night that um, his IG story just keeps me laughing. So oh, really? I got to check it out. I, I, I need to get I need to get better in my IG life, my oh. social media life, period. But I live for people who are funny. Oh, like, I mean, but I'm just stories. like, not on purpose. <laughs> it's not on purpose. It's just like, you know, it's real things that I think are super important. Um, but I don't talk a lot about like my, I utilize social media, not professionally, just personal mm-hmm. because I'm so work focused. Right. That I need you to, I need to have a life. So that's really what I use social for. Personality comes out of that. Um, but you can catch me working all the time. So let's connect. Definitely. And that's how I knew you were like a real manager because I didn't realize it until we spoke. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who call themselves a manager, but they really want to be the talent. Absolutely. You know, it, there's it, a lot of people who want to be like the fourth amigos type exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I did not know this is what you were doing until mm-hmm. we had a conversation. I'm like, I didn't see that when I was yeah. looking around. A lot of people, a lot of people don't. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it really great and powerful because mm-hmm. it, it's so funny. The Netflix special that Malcolm is doing, they're going to do a reverse one just for women. And they'd asked to interview me. And once again, going back to the Uber driver, don't deny what you're, you know, what you deserve. I was just like, nah, cause I like to be in the shadows. I like mm-hmm. that because everything that I do is reflected in the talent that I represent. Right. And so I'd rather him be the talent and win. Cause when he wins, I win naturally. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't need any, I don't need any other accolades. But you know, so I'm going to speak into you a little bit. Hey. <laughs> because there's some girl right now right. who's still in high school or, you know, starting college who's saying what you said, like, mm-hmm. I want to manage people or I want to mm-hmm. be in this business and doesn't know how to do it. And yeah. your story is crucial yeah. for her to hear. So you've got to balance that wanting to be behind the scenes with encouraging someone else and providing a, v- a blueprint that's not yet out there. So I receive that. You better I get on your that. special, girl. I got to I receive it. I receive that. I'm listening. I'm got All right. you. Well, I appreciate you coming to the podcast. Oh Thank this you for having me. Quite enjoyable. Oh my god. You know, we're still heavy on the men. So every time we can pull a sister in, I have so excited. many sisters for you. I'm okay. here. We're going to make that happen. We got it. I got, we got people. We're going to we, take care of you. We're going to make sure we're it's gonna, a lot more We're going to show them. We're going to show them that we are just as popping. I mean, really, because we are making it happen. <laughs> we I are. think we're just so far down the rabbit hole of making it happen. That we're, just, we're, we're so convinced in letting our, every, our brothers shine. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Well, we, we need our time, too. We need our time. Okay. We do. Well, anyway, to our listeners, make sure you find India online. Make sure you check out her funny and all the great things that she's doing, because <laughs> she's got a personality, that's for sure. And remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.